Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time to come before you this morning. We thank you for the gift of your word and your faithfulness to interpret your word for us and show us your truth. Lord, we'd ask that you open our hearts and our, and our eyes to be able to see what you have for us today. And we ask that you would make our hearts tender and ready to hear it and receive it. And we ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, as we're getting near the end of the book of Deuteronomy, um, we, uh, we find that this book, Rabbi David likes to say, is the book that he, he says never should have been. And I agree with that, because when you, when you look at this generation of Israel and where they came from, they shouldn't have been in the position that they're in right now. You see, it was the previous generation's responsibility uh, to go into the land and defeat the enemies and conquer the territory. But that didn't happen. That, that first generation that came out, they failed to do what they were brought out for. So now the burden of that rests on the children. Now, as an adult child myself, I can certainly identify with where they find themselves. And I'm sure that the rest of you can too. You know, when I look back on my life and some of um, the things that I inherited from the previous generation, um, a lot of it looks like nothing more than a barren wilderness. You know, there were battles that should have been fought on my behalf that were left unfought. And there was territory and inheritance that should have been endowed to me that wasn't. I looked to the previous generation for guidance and protection and for truth. But the thing is that they were lost themselves. And they couldn't give that to me. And when the, when the adult generation is lost... They take the children with them wandering around the wilderness, around the same mountains over and over again. And that's where this generation of Israel came from. Their parents took them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, around the same sites, on the same dry ground. Now, whether we're talking about religious beliefs, or traditions that you inherited, beliefs about God or yourself, or even your own physical and emotional well-being. I feel pretty confident in saying that we can all look back on our lives and we can see where the last generation fell short. Now, just like this generation of Israel, we too have to decide what we're going to do about that. You see, for, for Israel, there's nothing in their rearview mirror at this point but death. They literally watched 
their parents and grandparents die in the desert. And the wilderness was all they knew. So the next steps for them are critical. They're life or death steps. They have a very grave choice to make. And so that's where we find ourselves as this Parsha opens. Now, in our own lives, as children who um, hopefully are coming out of the wilderness, God calls us to that same fork in the road. This generation doesn't have to die in the wilderness. To this generation of Israel, it's given for them to enter the promised land and to step into all of the blessings and the life that God has for them. But first, before they can do that, a few caveats. You see, there are things that we need to know in order to proceed. And when you're coming out of a place of wilderness in your own life, there are things you need to know about how to move forward. Now, I don't know about you, but I couldn't wait to be in charge of my own life. You know, out of the gate, guns blazing, full steam ahead, ready. But I had no compass. And just like when I came to faith in Yeshua, I really had no idea what I was doing. You know, the only map that I had was of where I'd been. And the only thing I was certain of is that I didn't want to go back. But I didn't know how to go forward. And when I read this Parsha, I realized that it contains the building blocks for the roadmap that will keep us from wandering into a wilderness of our own making. Re'e means to see. And it's the first thing that God says to Israel this week. Interestingly, I was looking online last night and realized that this would have been my bat mitzvah Parsha had I been Jewish at the time, and um, which, was, which was really fascinating to me because it really spoke a lot to me when I read this. Now, at the end of last week's Parsha, God reaffirms the children of Israel that the land he's giving them is good ground and that he is with them. He exhorts them, do not be afraid of the giants and the enemies that you're about to face. I'm with you. But before you go charging in, there's something I have to show you. So the first command that he gives them in this Parsha is to open their eyes and see. Re'e, behold. The choice you're about to make is one of life and death, of blessing or curse. And you must truly understand the gravity of the consequences. And this is where we find ourselves every single day, at that fork in the road between blessing and curse. You see, everything you do is either moving you toward a, uh, an existence of life and blessing, or it's moving you toward death and curse. Chapter 11, verse 26 of Deuteronomy, he says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the mitzvot of Adonai, your God, that I am commanding you today, but the curse, if you do not listen to the mitzvot of Adonai, your God, 
But turn from the way I am commanding you today to go after other gods you do not know. Now when Adonai your God brings you into the land you're going in to possess, you are to set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Now notice what he says here. He says, when I take you into the land that you go in to possess. You see, he's made the way, but you have to go in and fight. You have to go in and take back the territory. He says, I'll be with you, but you do have a part to play in this. Now, the next command that he, that he tells them um, is about the mountains. And, and it seems like he's saying, I, I asked you to see. Now I want you to remember what you've seen. Make these two reminders when you go into the land. Into the land. These two mountains... One represents the blessing and one represents the curse. You see, these are their landmarks. These are the mountains of consequence. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got a couple of these in my life. A couple of mountains that remind me when I look at them that this is the consequence of stepping outside the will of God and this is the consequence of obedience to Him. Those moments in your life that you can look back on, those markers that set you on a different course where you, you suffered because of your disobedience. And the people around you suffered because of your own disobedience. Or you suffered because someone else stepped outside of God's will. Those are your landmarks. God says, lest you should forget the severity, see and remember that there's only these two choices. There's no magical third option in which you can live in disobedience to the Lord and reap anything other than the fruit of death. It's black and white. There is no gray. There is no, this is harmless. There is no, this really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. God says very clearly two choices, blessing or cursing. So often, especially in the world we live in today, it's so easy to think, well, this isn't really bad. But I tell my girls all the time, is it of God? Does it glorify Him? Well, then it's not from Him. And I know that's extreme, and I don't always make the right choice, but just because I fail at it doesn't mean that it's not true. And that's hard because we have to let our flesh die to make that choice. But there's only two options. So this is the foundation. Seeing what your choices are and understanding the consequences. Now that we have that foundation, we can move forward into how to proceed. So reading through this Parsha, to me, it appears that there's three steps after, after this foundation has been laid. And a lot of what's discussed in this Parsha seems disjointed, and why are we talking about, you know, idols in one passage and false prophets in the next, and now we're talking about our diet, and everything just seems kind of chop, chop, chop. But really, when you look at it as a whole, it makes sense to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you these three steps that I found. So the first step after this foundation is laid is... One that I call, um, choose him to be your only God. There can only be one God in our lives. 
And we're to love him with our whole heart. To be victorious, you have to go in and dethrone any and everything that you've set up in that position in your life. Now, let me remind you that it's not enough just to be on the lookout for the gods of your parents from Egypt. I used to think, because I'm not bowing down to the same things that my parents did or the generation before me, I don't have the same issues as my family, that I'm somehow safe or even better than them. But you see, God tells the Israelites that you're going to go into the land and you're going to encounter new gods that your fathers did not know. And you need to be watching for that too. And when you do encounter these gods, he tells them, you are to utterly destroy them. Their dwelling places, their implements of worship, and even their name must be destroyed from out of the land. Now, why would he say that? Well, for starters, obviously, we're to cleanse the land of idols so that we're not tempted to make them gods in our own lives. But there's another reason why he's asking us to do that. Just look and see what he says next. God tells them that he's about to make a home with them. He says he's going to choose a place in their midst where he will cause his name to dwell. He's going to put his name in their midst. And only one name can be in the land. His. All the other names have to go. When you become a part of God's people, he puts his name on you. You're his. And all the other idols that you gave power to before, they have to go. And their names have to go too. You can't keep wearing that big scarlet letter anymore. Once you become his, you can't keep calling yourself failure. Addicted, worthless, adulterer, crippled, or damaged. That's not his name. And that's not who you are anymore. How many of you know that your sin or the impact of other people's sin on you can become an identity? The wound is so deep, it's all you can think about. It becomes who you are. It becomes your identity. That's what you present forward first in the world, is this pain, this, this, this sin, whether it's someone else's sin on your life or you, the, the consequences and the pain of your own sin. And just like Yeshua said to the man at the pool, do you want to be healed? Are you ready to give up that identity? If you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have told you, yes, I want to be healed. I'm, I don't want to hurt anymore. I'm tired of this. But I wouldn't let it go. I didn't know how to let it go. It hurt too much. I, I can't just let go of it. Then what? Then all this pain, uh, you know, I just get nothing for that. I didn't understand that question that Messiah asked that man until I had been healed. 
So we have to decide, are we ready to give up that identity and allow him to place his name on us in our lives? God tells them to cast off their idols and any more that they come across, burn it to the ground. God's making a dwelling place for himself, a home in their midst where we can come to him. Think about Israel. Their parents, they're dead, died in the desert. Their home, they, they never had one. They were born in the desert, in the wilderness. But God says, I desire to live with you. Now, listen to what he says to them next. Uh, chapter 12, verses 5 through 7 and verse 12. He says, Rather, you are to seek only the place Adonai your God chooses from all your tribes to put his name to dwell. There you will come. There you are to bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the offering of your hand, your vow and freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There you and your household will eat before Adonai your God and rejoice in every undertaking of your hand as Adonai your God has blessed you. Then you will rejoice before him with your sons and your daughters, your slaves and your maids, and the Levites in your town. God just wants you to come and be with him and rejoice with him. And he tells them, don't go all over the land giving away your best. Don't go giving yourself away your your vows and your offerings and your sacrifices everywhere and anywhere that it feels good to you to do so, it's dangerous for us. Come to the place where my name is because there we'll be safe. There's no, there's no fear of forgetting where our blessings come from or being deceived into worshiping something other than him. Eat and be filled, he tells them, to your heart's desire. I've never had anyone tell me to eat and be filled to my heart's desire. Maybe when I was pregnant, but it's typically frowned upon in general society. <laughs> but God tells them to come and eat and be filled as much as you desire. Gather the very best of what I have given you and bring it back to me. Not so I can keep it for myself, so we can enjoy it together, so I can see you enjoying it. This is the heart cry of a parent. God loves us and wants a relationship with us. And in any healthy relationship, there are boundaries. And if you've never experienced a relationship with healthy boundaries... Now's your chance. God won't step on your boundaries. He's not going to push himself on you. He's a gentleman. He loves you. The boundaries are there for our protection. Now, the next step that I see in this, in this reading is he asks us to make the choice to choose his people. So first he asks us to choose him as our only God. Next he asks us to also choose his people. And in chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, he says, You are the children of Adonai your God. 
From all the peoples on the face of the earth, Adonai has chosen you to be his treasured people. He's telling Israel, you aren't just faithful subjects. You're my children. And that changes everything for all of us because it not only changes our relationship with him, it changes our relationship with everyone else. Because they're not just random strangers, they're our brothers and sisters now. And as our family, we're supposed to care for them. We aren't meant to fight this battle alone. Not only do we have him, but he's given us each other. We're tearing down the strongholds together, hand in hand, brothers and sisters. And God reminds them of this responsibility as he commands them, do not forsake the Levites within your gates that don't have the same inheritance as you. Don't forsake the poor and the orphans and the fatherless and the widows. Take care of them. Comfort my people. The third step is to choose his timing. The next thing God talks about in this Parsha is the appointed times, the Moedim. And God asks us to choose his timing. God has a plan for everyone's life, individually and collectively. Each and every one of us is put here for such a time as this. If you were ever told that you were a mistake, they were wrong. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't slip up. You were born at the exact moment that he chose to put you in this world. God's timing is perfect, and as his children, if we want to be on time, then we have to go by the master's clock. There are seasons in all of our lives. We have seasons of release and redemption, like the seventh year jubilee, the, the Shemitah, or the sabbatical year. There are seasons of rescue, like Passover. But there's also seasons of mourning and loss, as it was for the Egyptians on the same day. Sometimes you're going to eat matzah, which is the bread of affliction. And other times he's going to carry you on eagle's wings and feed you manna. There are seasons of outpouring, like Shavuot, where the word and the ruach wash over you and refine you like fire. And we all watch and pray for the day of ingathering, for Sukkot, that day when he returns and dwells in our midst. As his children, we also inherit his traditions. And it is our joy and our duty to pass this on to the next generation. This Parsha is a call to see his will and to make the choice to follow him. So, where do you find yourself today? Are you fighting the good fight? You know, are you cleansing the land? Are you casting down altars and removing the names of false gods in your life? Or are you weary from the battle? 
Is it becoming too much and you're stumbling under the weight? Are you fighting alongside your brothers and sisters, refusing to forsake those who might otherwise be trampled underfoot? Are you neglecting them? Or maybe you find yourself on the edge of the wilderness, paralyzed by fear like the last generation, at the very thought of what's on the other side and how hard it will be to conquer that territory. Don't be that generation before you. God has brought you this far, and his promises are true, and he's faithful to fulfill them. You know, for too long now, too many believers have settled for a wilderness existence. And I'm not talking about the difference between believers and non-believers. I'm talking about people who have already passed over the Red Sea. They have already had that redemption. And now they're on their way to the promised land. They're too fearful or hard-hearted to cross over into the blessings. And we have to choose. You can't stay at the fork in the road any longer. I want you to think about something. And I want you to ask yourself, how much dry, parched, barren, and unconquered, unconquered ground are you willing to pass on to your children and grandchildren, the next generation? How much are you willing to leave behind for them? Because what we leave standing in our lives today becomes a wilderness that they have to deal with. So I encourage you, I challenge you to run the race. From Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also get rid of every weight and entangling sin. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of our faith. It's time to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Choose the blessings. Choose life. You must not wait one more day. Time is short. And the sand's just getting hotter. Choose the blessings. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you have set before us. We thank you that you give us a clear and concise choice. And Father, we, we fall before you today and ask forgiveness for all the ways that we've made the wrong choice. For all the steps in the wrong direction. And for all the times we just refuse to move. Lord, we declare today that we choose you. We choose you to be the only God in our lives, to be the only Lord on the throne. 
And we ask you to give us the strength and the endurance and the courage to do what it takes to live in the life that you died to give us. Father, I just ask that every person here today, every person listening to this, Father, that you would make them too uncomfortable to stay in the same place any longer. And I ask, Lord, that you would put a stirring in our hearts for our brothers and sisters that we would not be able to sit by and watch them maintain altars to false gods in their lives anymore. This is far too serious a choice for us to be playing with it like this. Lord, we just, I thank you for your faithfulness that no matter how many days we get it wrong, you're still there. Lord, I just, I just ask for you to call out a people for yourself in this generation. And we ask all these things in your son's name, Yeshua, our Lord and King. Amen.